Angie, hey, I am so glad you picked up. Yeah, I really need to talk to somebody. Yeah, you got a few minutes where we can pick up where we left off? Great. Well, I wanted to talk to Mom about it, but I don't know. I'm a little worried about her. She's been in and out of it mentally a little bit lately. Yeah, she was talking about uh, talking to my brother, who's been dead five years. So, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just keep it with you. Yeah. So, well, not much. Um, I just still can't believe this is happening to us, you know. Yeah, not in a million years would I have ever thought Robert would do this. I know he's not, I mean, he's not that kind of man, or at least I didn't think he was. Yeah. Well, I did what you told me, and I just sat him down and, you know, just asked him to talk about it. Yeah, guess what he said? Yeah, he says, I can't believe you violated my privacy. Oh, man. I lost it. Yeah, I could have punched him. We've been married 25 years. Since when do we keep secrets from each other? No, but I did tell him to get out. Well, I meant like get out and take a walk, you know, get some air, kind of take a walk. But he just packed up his stuff and threw some stuff in a bag and left, said he needed some time. Yeah. That was two days ago. I have no idea. But, you know, I just got to believe he's going to, you know, he's just going to get his stuff together and he's just going to call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am still mad at him, but I love him, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to hold it together for the kids. Oh, my gosh, the kids. I totally forgot I'm supposed to do Aaron's Sunday school class tomorrow. If I go to church without Robert, people are going to ask me where he is, and I'm not going to know what to say, and I will just fall apart, and I do not want that to happen. Look, i got to go. The kids are coming in. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. Bye. That kid was doing that the entire time we were in the store. No, I wasn't. She just wanted to talk with her boyfriend the whole time we were in the store. No, I did not. Jenny has a boyfriend, Jenny Ugh. has a boyfriend. I just wanted to say hi, and I couldn't do that without this little creep bugging me. Would you two please stop it? I have had a hard enough day without y'all coming in acting like this. You could at least thank me for picking up your groceries. Thank you. Could you please take them to the kitchen? Oh, God, Aaron, would you stop it, honey? Hello? Robert? Hey. Hey, I'm good. You, you what? You want what? Your electric razor? Couples are always trying to figure marriage out. Uh, 
young couples, especially roles and responsibilities. So one of the things that we provide, in fact, require here is premarital counseling. I'm a little embarrassed uh, to admit it, but I actually did Casey and Kelsey's premarital counseling. We, we actually covered roles and responsibilities. They got married in, in June. I thought things were going great until this week when I received a phone call from Kelsey. Now, understand that Casey and Kelsey both went to Liberty, that illustrious Christian university in Lynchburg, and, and, and know also that Kelsey is, uh, Kelsey's dad is one of our elders here at Alliance. Well, Kelsey called. She was quite upset. Apparently, she and Casey had had uh, their first major fight, and, and it was over roles and responsibilities. They were arguing about who should make the coffee in the morning. Casey said, well, snickerdoodle, it's obvious it's your job to make the coffee. That's kitchen duty, and everyone knows the kitchen is a woman's work. I said I was embarrassed, to which Kelsey argued it was his job. She called me in the middle of the fight. I asked her why she thought it was his job. She said, well, Pastor Scott, it says so right in the New Testament that it's his job. I said, where? She said, Hebrews. <laughs> I thought maybe that was just corny enough to get a laugh. You see, we are always trying to grasp um, roles and responsibilities. When it comes to making coffee, I'll let you figure that out. Lindsay uh, is trying to figure out her role in this ongoing display of a dysfunctional family. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at marriage, trying to figure it out from a biblical perspective. We began with a biblical basis for marriage. Then we looked at the role of the uh, husband last week, and we saw that his role was to be that of uh, loving headship. This week, we turn our focus to wives. And immediately, some of you think, well, that's easy. She's to be the slave, a junior partner in the relationship. She, she ranks only a little higher than the children. She has no rights. Her role is one of compliant, unquestioned obedience. And by the way, she's got to look good doing it. Unfortunately, many people perceive the role uh, of the wife just that way, uh, maybe because of the way um, they've been taught, maybe because they've observed it in their own families or worse on TV, uh, because of the way that women have been treated, and unfortunately because of the way the church um, has overlooked such treatment, condoned, or even, or even taught such an erroneous view. It is foreign, you see, to the Scripture. Now, now yes, there is a flip side of the coin, perhaps because of the abuse women have experienced, more likely because of the because of the curse, women have wanted to shed their biblical uh, role for positions seemingly more attractive and more desirable. That, that biblical description, they say, is patriarchal, it's outdated, it was cultural, needs to be jettisoned with a fresh, culturally relevant, and certainly a more sensitive view. As you know, here at Alliance, we are committed to the Scripture. If it says it, we believe it. And yes, I know that there are cultural um, issues in the Bible. 
Let me say it this way, that there are descriptive and prescriptive elements in the Scripture. What that means is there are some things recorded for us that simply describe events as they unfolded. They are not meant to prescribe for us the way we're supposed to do things. For example, when Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to get a wife for Isaac, Eliezer ended up giving the prospective bride, Rebecca, a nose ring. This does not mean that wedding rings should be replaced with nose rings. It does not mean that we should select our wives from among distant relatives, and it does not mean that we should propose to someone we don't know, although that last one may have some merit. But there are some prescriptive passages of Scripture which clearly articulate roles, responsibilities, even commands. We looked um, at such a prescriptive passage when we looked at Genesis 2. How do we know that it's prescriptive? Well, for one thing, it speaks generally of the relationship between husbands and wives. And secondly, I told you that both Paul and Jesus used that passage in their teaching on marriage. So you see, Genesis 2 actually transcends time. All that to say, we are committed to, more than that, we are bound to the instructions of Scripture. We are not going to try to dismiss the Word of God uh, as culturally irrelevant, outmoded, and outdated. As the creator and designer of the marriage relationship, we believe principles and commands in Scripture concerning husbands and wives are not only binding, listen, not only binding but best. (laughs) You see, I want you to understand something. God didn't just sit in heaven one day and say, you know, let me see how I can design that marriage relationship to be the most impossible task in the world. Let let, let me see how I can design a relationship that will be the most relationally dysfunctional on the planet and bring the most heartache. And, And how can I really irritate women? God did not do that. He has our best in mind. His goal for the marriage relationship is that it be joy-filled and that it reflect as closely as possible the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. So with all that in mind, I'm going to talk about the role of the wife. I'm going to talk about what it is, what it is not, and hopefully it will bring some clarity to the ongoing raging debate. In order to talk about, we have to go back briefly to Genesis chapter 2. Turn there if you would. Genesis 2. I'll put it on the screen. Verse 18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I already covered this a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But we see from this passage, the primary role of the husband uh, is that loving headship. The primary role of the wife is what I called a couple of weeks ago to be a helper completer to the husband. Now, now, many people want to go right to Ephesians 5. We'll get there uh, to point out the wife's role. She's to submit to her husband. And, and, and while that's 
true, I would suggest that submission is in response to her role. It is not her role. Do you see the difference? Her role is to be a helper completer. And as she fleshes that out, she submits. That's not all she does. She has a number of other responsibilities. Titus chapter 2, we're not even going to look at that. It talks about her loving her children, loving her husband, being a worker at home, kind, things like that. You see, if you see your role, um, your primary purpose in life as simply submitting to your husband, that doesn't sound like too much fun. It sounds like that you've got to be uh, subservient, subordinate. It doesn't really matter what you think, what your opinions, what your values are, what your gifts, what your abilities are. It only matters that you submit. That's your role. He's the husband, the center of your universe. Just do that. Everything else will be okay. That, I don't believe that. Your primary role, I believe, is to be a helper, what I call a helper completer to your husband. Remember, uh, the word refers to a beneficial relationship where one person aids and supports another as a friend or an ally. Remember we said that the Scripture uses this term helper to refer to God in His relationship with humankind. He is a helper to us. God created man as the crowning act of His creation to bring God glory by ruling over the earth. Man needed help in the task. Woman was created to be a companion to the man to help him effectively fulfill his God-given responsibilities. She was totally, remember I said this, totally suitable for him, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. Um, It is important to understand Man could not do this alone. He needed her to complete him, and in so doing, one of the things that she does is submit. Okay, so the wife is to be a helper to her husband. But but then we get to the New Testament, specifically Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus 2, 1 Peter chapter 3. Why so much focus on the S word? You know, submission because of the curse. You remember that in Genesis chapter 3. There, Adam and Eve um, disobeyed God, ate the forbidden fruit. God placed a a curse on the serpent, on the earth, on man, and on woman. As far as the woman was concerned, it was twofold. Number one, increased pain in childbirth. Second, her desire would be for her husband, meaning her desire would be to rule over her husband. Not supposed to do that corresponding part of the curse for the man was that he would dominate the wife. Not supposed to do that. You see, in a Christian marriage where husband and wife have been redeemed, uh, where um, the marred image of God is being restored, we are to return to a um, pre-fall ideal. Man is to be the loving servant leader, and woman is to be the loving helper completer. And in your fallenness, ladies... In your fallenness, the New Testament seeks to remind you part of your responsibility as a wife is to submit to your husband and his leadership. So, so with that in mind, having laid that as a groundwork, let's look then now at Ephesians chapter 5. Verse um, 21 says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. 
Paul says, wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, he says it this way, wives be subject to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Peter says the same thing, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Titus chapter 2, Paul repeats it, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to your own husbands so that the wor- so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. He said, the response of a redeemed wife is to submit to her husband's God-ordained headship and authority within the home. Failure to do so results in the Word of God being dishonored. I want you to get that. If you intentionally disregard this passage, this teaching, if you intentionally say, not going to be submissive, in fact, if you even say, that's not how we're going to do it at my house, then you dismiss. If you dismiss as not relevant for today, for whatever reason, then you disregard and dishonor the Word of God. That's what Paul said. So, what, what then does it mean to submit? The word means to be subject to, to be to, to subordinate, to be under the authority of another. In fact, it was a military term that was used of an officer over a subordinate. Now, 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 now listen. This is extremely important. In this passage, in these passages, the word is in the middle voice in, in the Greek. What does that mean? What that, what that means is nowhere are men told to subordinate their wives. Nowhere are men commanded to make their wives obey any more than um, wives are commanded to make their husbands love them. This is a command to wives. I'm talking to wives primarily today. Wives, submit yourself. Middle voice, submit yourself. Paul is telling the wives to submit themselves to their husbands. It means the submission is to be a willful, voluntary act on the part of the wife to come under the authority and headship of the, of the husband. So, okay, what does that mean? Well, let me start first with what it does not mean, since there's been so much abuse of this understanding through the centuries. What it does not mean, first, submission does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. Some of you ladies have looked to your husbands to give you only what Christ can do. Text says, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, submission to your husbands is an act of obedience to Christ, and it is to mirror your submission to Him. Second, submission does not mean giving up independent thought, all right? The Christian wife should still hear, ponder, understand, and respond to the Word of God herself. The Christian wife, contrary to what you might hear, is to be a thinking individual. She is not to abdicate her responsibility to make moral, thoughtful, wise, godly decisions. Third, we see from 1 Peter 3, which we're going to look at shortly, Submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband. In that passage, 
Peter says the wife should try to influence unbelieving husbands to become Christians. Incidentally, in that passage, it is clear that the wife is to submit to her husband regardless of his spiritual condition. In other words, ladies, you are not off the hook if your husband is not a believer or if even your husband sometimes doesn't act like a believer. Not off the hook. Fourth, we see that submission does not mean a wife should give in to every demand of her husband. If he demands that she do something contrary to the clearly revealed Word of God, she should respectfully decline. You see, there is this order of authority, and first is God and His Word. She should respectfully decline. Fifth, submission does not mean a wife should endure the abuses of her husband. I have never counseled. I will never counsel a woman to stay in a home where she is being physically abused. Now, I'm not talking to men this morning. Don't do that. If she fears for her safety, the safety of her children, she should, and I will help move her, remove, she should remove herself from that environment. But even then, that separation should be for the purpose of discipline and ultimate restoration. You say, what if he never changes? What if the danger is always there? Then, very simply, she should not go home. And by the way, we'll call the police too. Sixth, this, this is frustrating to me. Submission is not based, listen, is not based on lesser intelligence and competence. I hope I have beat this drum loudly enough. We are not talking about inferiority and superiority. We're talking about loving headship and willful loving submission. Last, submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. Men and women, husbands and wives have been equally redeemed and have equal importance, dignity, honor, and value before the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we are simply talking about function. So with all that in mind, what then does submission mean? First, I want you to get this, ladies. Submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of your husband. An inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. I've said it, let me say it again. The wife willingly submits to the authority and leadership of her husband in the marriage relationship. It means for you to make a choice to affirm him, to, to submit to him within obedience to Christ. It includes a demeanor. It includes a demeanor that honors him even when you disagree. It is an attitude that is much deeper than mere obedience. It is a respectful affirmation of His God-given responsibility to lead your home. In fact, I can't help but think of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. There, this author is speaking of leaders in the church, but I think the principle applies. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy 
and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Here's my point. Some of you submit on the outside. Yeah, it's what the Bible says. You don't like it, and you make no bones about it. And your submission to your husbands is anything but gentle respect. It is obligatory, resentful obedience, and you make him pay for it in lots of different ways. Might be obedience. It is not biblical submission. Make it a joy for him. Second, just going to comment on this. Submission acknowledges an authority that is not totally mutual. What do I mean by that? There is a sense in which husbands have an authority that wives do not have. Nowhere in the New Testament are husbands told explicitly to submit to their wives. However, in every context in the New Testament where the husband-wife relationship is addressed, the wife is commanded to submit to her husband. Third, we see submission is to be to your own husbands. Paul does not ask every woman everywhere to submit to every man. Not every male-female relationship requires submission on the part of the husband to the man. Rather, it is commanded that wives submit to their own husbands. In fact, let me just say it this way. I think you'll get what I'm saying. A little bit of a political statement. I think you'll, I think you'll forgive me. Um, I, I personally would not have a problem voting for a woman to be the president of the United States. I don't think that it violates this text. Finally, as I noted earlier, your submission is to be as to the Lord. In fact, um, Paul later says, as the church submits to Christ, notice, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It means you don't get to pick and choose. Unless it violates the clear teaching of the Word of God, it is to be complete and total submission. It's a little quiet in here. I want to say something very graciously and gently. Throughout our time in this series, I have attempted to really to go out of my way. I want to, to be kind and, and gracious. I have certainly not wanted to sound condescending or demeaning um, toward women. I, I certainly don't want to do that now, but nor do I want to shy away from the truth of Scripture. And so I want to say gently to wives and future wives, there is no getting around your role. You were created to be a helper, completer to man. While man was made from the earth for the earth, you were made from the man for the man. I believe it to be a high, honorable, and wonderful position. If the husband is to be a loving servant leader in your home, then you are to be a loving servant helper in your home. You have a scriptural mandate. This is not cultural. You have a scriptural mandate to submit to his authority. You also need to know this. 
as husbands, we are not always going to perform our role and responsibilities well. You have lived with us long enough to know that is true. Nor will you always live within the parameters of your God-given role, which will require in your homes, in this relationship, lots of love, lots of grace, and lots of forgiveness. It's going to require the filling of the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day. And it's going to require, ladies, your willful submission. What does this willful submission look like? Peter gives us a description of it in that passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to close with this. It's going to take me a few minutes. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 say this, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of gentleness and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Notice, Peter says, if any of them are disobedient to the Word. While this passage uh, is typically the one that we use to counsel wives who are married to unbelieving husbands, I want you to understand whether your husband is a believer or an unbeliever or sometimes acts like an unbeliever, um, this is what godly submission looks like. It applies to all. Verses 5 and 6, for in this way, holy women also used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And then this is a description of the submissive wife. There are three ways Three ways in which a woman lives this life of submission. I'm going to just comment on each of these. Number one, she concentrates on living the Word, not preaching the Word. Number two, she accentuates the internals, not the externals. And number three, she emulates the holy women of the past and not the unholy women of the present. This is as applicable today as any passage I know of. First, you are to live the Word before Him, not preach the Word. Obviously, there are both positive and negative uh, aspects to each one of these principles. Let's start with the negative. You are not to preach the Word to Him. This is a big one. You know it's a big one. When your husband is disobedient to the Word, what is the first thing you want to do? Tell him. Repeatedly, until he gets it. If he's wrong, you need to make him aware of it. Then he'll change. If he doesn't change the first time, tell him again and again and again. Peter says, don't do that. Don't preach the Word. Instead, positive side of the command, live the Word before him. 
If he's, what he's saying is if he's not doing what is right, you make sure you do. Your life will be an example to him as he observes your chaste and respectful behavior. I know this is very easy for me to say. You say, the whole sermon like you're a man. Everything in you, especially as you deal with the remnants of the curse in your life, wants to rise up and read him the riot act in a godly way. You have chapter and verse. You feel it is your right to set him straight. It is, but you must do it the right way. Live chapter and verse before him. And as you live it out, you you hope in God. Notice he says that later. You hope in God to take your living epistle and change his life. So this doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I think if he's a jerk, he needs to know it. Yes? So live the Word, as the Word says to do, and trust that God will take and apply truth from your behavior to His heart. Say, okay, so are you saying that, that there's never a time when I, as a wife, should confront my husband? I'm not saying that either. I believe in a godly home. Husbands, I'm talking to you. In a godly home where husband and wife both want to live out the truths and principles of the Word of God, then the husband will invite the wife to hold him accountable to truth. Husbands, did you hear me? Brings us to the second description of a godly godly submission. The submissive wife is to accentuate the internals, not the externals, verses 3 and 4. Very interesting verses. There have been those groups who have taught that taking this passage and taught that women should not wear any jewelry, any makeup, etc., etc., and I suppose that's fine, but I don't think that's what Peter is, is, is talking about. I believe he's ruling out an undue emphasis on the, what you look like externally to the neglect of what you look like internally. He lists three specific areas specific externals that women seem to focus on then. Hair, jewelry, and clothing. It was a major emphasis on adorning yourself in such a way so as to draw attention to yourself by excessive hairstyles, ostentatious jewelry, and expensive attention-grabbing clothing. Does this at all sound familiar? What percentage of commercials, advertisements deal with hair products, jewelry, clothing? In short, the way you look on the outside. I'm not saying, (laughs) I'm not saying you should not look nice. But the emphasis should be on the external. Emphasis should be on the external, not the internal. So here's a simple question that you can ask yourself. Probably don't need to ask a question, but I will. because my wife's not here. Um, do you spend as much time dressing up the inside each day as you spend dressing up the outside? Peter tells us an, ex- an ex- external emphasis results in things like braided hair, ostentatious display, gold jewelry, fine adorned clothing, 
Then he tells us what an internal emphasis results in, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, notice, precious in the sight of God. Here's, do you think that he really cares whether or not you have the latest fashion and the finest jewelry? Do you think that he cares really what your hair looks like as compared to that gentle and quiet spirit? When Peter tells you to be gentle and quiet, he's not telling you to be mindless. He's not telling you to be spineless. He's not telling you to be powerless. Every one of you know that you have the ability with your tongue to rip your husbands up, to lash out at them, even with truth, use it as a battering ram. Peter says, don't do that. Rather, cultivate the hidden person of the heart to be gentle and quiet. This is precious in the sight of God. Why? Because when you're being gentle and quiet, who are you trusting in? Hairstyles come and go, turns gray, turns loose, gold tarnishes, clothing becomes outdated, old, discarded, gentle, quiet spirit remains forever. Very quickly, last description of godly submission, emulate the holy women of the past, not the unholy women of the present. Peter cites the example of Sarah. Think about Sarah. She was far from perfect. She made her share of mistakes, some of them very serious. But the testimony of Scripture here is that she was a holy and godly woman, proven, we're told, by her attitude and her actions toward her husband. She demonstrated a submissive um, actions by obeying her husband and a submissive spirit by calling him Lord. Men, don't get excited about that. The term Lord was simply then an expression of honor and respect. Emulate the holy women of the past, not the unholy women of the present. Here's my question. Who do you want to be most like, ladies? An airbrushed celebrity? Barbara Walters? Oprah? Don't use those names to cast dispersion. I use them as present-day powerful cultural female icons, none of whom I'm aware uh, actually know the Lord. Who do you want to be like? Here you go. Sarah, Zipporah, Abigail, Deborah, Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene, Priscilla, Dorcas. Is there a few names of women of the Bible whose character you should seek to emulate? And so doing, he says, you become children of Sarah. So here they are. Here's the three. Don't preach the Word, live the Word. Don't accentuate the externals, focus on developing the internals. Don't emulate the holy, unholy women of the present, but the holy women of the past. This is the picture of the submissive wife. So, I'm done. As we close this morning, I might know something about you. Um, when we began this series, some of you might have been excited. Maybe your marriage was a bit of a wreck. Maybe it wasn't quite a wreck, but maybe you needed some attention. And, and, and you hoped. But something has gone wrong. You have found over the last couple of weeks, instead of things getting better, things have gotten worse. We're doing all this talk about husbands and wives. You thought it would fix your marriage, and you, it's made it worse. 
I'd ask for a show of hands, but that'd be embarrassing. Let me suggest to you what the problem may be. If you're like most people, if you're like me, then you look at the other person as the problem in the marriage. Oh, yeah, I know I have some changes to make, but the real problem lies with my wife or my husband. And you have been sitting there waiting for them to listen and change. And this is, series has done nothing but magnify their faults. Yeah. And you've been listening at what they are supposed to do. And the only way that this will work is if you listen to what you need to do. So I want to say to you very lovingly, stop focusing on your husband. Stop focusing on your wife. Focus on you. And then this passage says, watch and see what God will do to work in your spouse's life. And if your spouse does not change, what's the worst that can happen? You become the godly husband and the godly wife that he expects. Husbands, be loving servant leaders. Wives, be loving helper completers. Let's stand for prayer. Father, I, I know that, that when we start focusing on areas that need attention, that the enemy rears his head, we've caught his attention, and there has been disruption in families, in relationships, in marriages, of course. But, but by your Spirit, if you would fill us cause us to focus on me. Let me be a godly husband. Let me be a godly wife. You can accomplish your purposes. In Christ's name, amen.